One of the most difficult parts of working with children who have been physically or, or sexually abused in some way is disclosure. It's a part of the engagement where youth, where a parent or a caregiver should be told about what has happened to their loved and cherished child. Often the youth doesn't want a parent or caregiver to know and often there is a professional obligation to disclose where the harm is to the minor or, or when there is some level of concern around elements of suicidality or danger. The most difficult time to have to share this information with a parent or a caregiver when one is a therapist or a practitioner or even a coach is when the therapist or practitioner or coach knows the parent or caregiver of the child personally. When they know that person outside of the professional relationship. This occurrence is more commonplace than most people think it is. The world is a very small space when intimate details of the life and of, of an abused child or a sexually abused child is the life experience of that child. For me, one of the most difficult disclosures I had to make was when a 13-year-old girl disclosed to me that she had been sexually abused. She wanted her father and her mother to know. Her father? Her father was a colleague of mine. And it was me that had to tell him. It was me that had to tell him a story that would impact and change the way he viewed himself the way he viewed his daughter, the way he viewed all things from that point on. My name is Dr. Michael. This is the 13 Elephants Podcast. We have 10,000 followers across all social media platforms, and that's fantastic. And we are growing. Every day we are growing. I thank you all for your support, and I appreciate you all. Please like and subscribe and help us grow to 100,000. This week in New Zealand, in Aotearoa, was Mental Health Week. A time when the personal and the public space is shared in the, in the event and in the effort to address the significant rates of suicide, of mental harm, mental health issues, grief, self-harm. It's a time where the lived experiences of mental health are shared in a public way, really, in a lot of ways, but albeit in a watered-down version way. It's the lived experiences that are shared. It's a time when the third space experience should be told and shared to offer insight and hope. Hope to those who suffer in silence with demons that only those of us who have experienced these demons will completely understand. This podcast is about my mental health in a lot of ways. It's about my experiences over the decades, over 50 years. Where mental health has not only kind of been a way of life, it also has not been a way of life because it's just been part of who I am. From the early times when I was exposed to two mental health units, both in New Zealand, where it was questionable whether or not I needed to be in there and why I wasn't there was unknown to a lot of people. 
but it was all about mental health. It was all about the perceived understanding that there was something going on that was abnormal, that somebody else described as behaviour that wasn't appropriate. So the questions really started to cement in me at that time if I was in some way strange or different. When the revisitation of the abandonment that has been part of my whole life again took hold, where abandonment through the three divorces started to connect into my understanding of what mental health was, where I must be different, I must be strange, I must be abnormal, and this is what everybody else is telling me, and maybe being in this place will prove that. Twice, twice in mental health units, being isolated, being alone, being scared, being worried. A familiar feeling to, to most things in my life, whether it be in the workplace, whether it be in relationships, whether it be across people. Always I would walk alone in these spaces wondering, what is it that is different about me? Why do I not fit in this space that we call this world when everybody else is supposed to care? Why is it that we can have one week, one mental health week in New Zealand where we can share these stories and it's okay, but every other week we can't? But people say we can. People say talk about mental health all the time. They say, wear it on your sleeve, wear it outside so everyone can see. But we can't do that because there's limitations around that. We have to be what other people want us to be because if we're not, we get judged. And I've been judged in relationships, in work, in media, in sport, in my family. I've been judged. Trying to be what other people expected me to be. Mental health. I remember when I was a young child, maybe in my teens, My grandmother got married again to her neighbor, actually. Lovely man, lovely man, very gentle man, a giant of a man, but gentle, very gentle. And he grew tomatoes. He had lots and lots of glass houses with tomatoes that he grew. I don't know the variety, but lots of tomatoes. And he came over to our house one day and he he found a snail, and this was a very gentle giant of a man, but he found a snail in the garden. And he walked up to it and he squashed it with his foot. Not silently, and not even politely, cruelly, harshly. He squashed this tiny little snail and it was crushed. I felt terrible, terrible. That sat with me for for weeks. Possible sign of despair, one might say a sign of depression for me, but something about that event just stayed with me and I felt terribly sad. It wasn't until later years when I tried to understand why he did that and why it was such a big deal for me. It wasn't until much later that I realized the snail was a danger to his industry because snails 
ate tomatoes or the leaves and the, and the young seedlings and plants. And so what he was doing was actually protecting what it was that was his, even though it wasn't at his house or anywhere near. It was just who he was. But for me, that incident, something about it stuck. Later on, when I started playing football a little bit more and represented different uh, provinces around the place, I used to get what my father termed tournament blues, which was we would go away and we would be billeted at different locations. And, and, and I, I wouldn't be billeted too well because I'd cry every night of the fear that uh, my parents would leave, which inevitably did happen, but... Uh, it, the billeting was always a problem for me. But the tournament blues were when when the tournament ended and we would be on the bus or in the cars driving back to our home. That night, when I would lie in bed and the, the football tournament was all over, the week away was all over, I'd lie in my bed and I wouldn't be able to sleep. I was sad. I was upset. I was terrified. Why? Because something had ended. Something that was, was no longer that that was so joyful, even though it was hard staying away from my parents. But it had ended. And it was tournament blues. I felt displaced. Mental health. In my career where there's been so many changes from being a sandblaster when I left school, sandblasting big machinery, to a painter and then a tradesman painter and then owning my own business, moving through different jobs for two, three years, most in later years at a senior level. The financial strain caused by by bankruptcy and by having children and going through two marriage separations, losing everything, having to rebuild everything, the mental health, the questioning, the not being good enough, not being man enough, not being a, a, a provider, not being a dad enough, not being a husband enough, the expectations placed on me as a man. The expectations placed on me in society is having to do what it is that I'm supposed to do across decades when change is inevitable and hurt is inevitable and when abandonment sits in there in every single thing every single part of my behavior when abandonment sits in there the mental health just becomes part of who you are which is part of who I am Most of my close relationships are with women, whether that be with my intimate partner or my friends, my mother, my sister. Most of my relationships that are very close are with women. Mostly I've worked in a therapeutic space with women. Mostly I've worked across domestic violence, sexual abuse, physical abuse, disability, with women that has been my life's career working understanding and listening to women now i'm not saying i'm great at listening to women because i am appalling at listening to women 
when it comes to relationships. I'm terrible. It's a flaw of mine, and I've tried, but unfortunately, I'm not great at it. But sitting across from a friend, sitting across from a woman that's hurting, a young child, a girl that's hurting, and listening and helping, that's what I'm good at. I understand the expectations on women to be better than men. I understand the expectations on women to be the best mother they can be, the best wife or partner they can be. For a woman to be expected to perform as and when a man wants them to perform, I understand that. I understand how women can be silenced by gender. I understand how women can be beaten and hurt and sexually harmed by men. I understand why women may choose, by default or not, to hate men. I am a man, and I do understand from a man's point of view what it is like to be a woman, because I have heard so many stories from women of pain and heartache. And they come to me sometimes, women, for advice, direction, understanding, and I listen. And I listen from a way which is outside of mental health. It's listening in a way that is empathetic to the story that I've been told for many, many, many years from the different faces of women. Children are no different, really, in the way that they share their stories. Yet there's some innocence about their story. There's some understanding that we as adults just don't carry. Children can take more than an adult can from my experience when it comes to pain, when it comes to mental health. And children are far more forgiving and understanding, even when the pain caused to the child has been the most hideous pain, the most horrific pain one could ever imagine. Children, they can be so forgiving from my experiences of working with them. It blows my mind how children who have been impacted by terrible events, how they still choose in a lot of ways to want to forgive their perpetrator. The perpetrators I have sat across from in a therapeutic room, having to listen to their stories that they have caused great harm to such young children. I don't understand these people and I can't ever understand. I don't want to ever understand. It's the children who want to forgive, who want to share in that pain and make it okay for themselves and for the perpetrator. Those are the ones that hold the truth, the gold. They have the pure love inside of them. They don't hate. It's not until they get to adults or older that that starts being their main narrative. Mental health. The countless stories, the countless times that I have heard people tell me about pain. Sometimes it becomes contextually the same, just the events a little different. But the pain is on the surface, the visual, and then the depth 
the depth is where the real change can happen. With our current world, the way we live, the way we have to be, the way we have to walk, talk, understand, we have an expectation to be strong and weak at the same time. Share everything about how you feel, but not if it affects people. Not if it is too deep for some people. Only share what the audience is willing to hear. Don't share yourself truly. This is what we're told. We can only speak out when it suits other people. I've been in significant roles in my life where I haven't been able to speak out about the things that I do to help people. I couldn't share my own story. I've been shut down so many times about sharing my own story because the repercussions for an industry might be too great. When no disclosure of any name or any any organization would be made, just the story shared, but still, I've been shut down. How is that good for mental health? It's not. How many of us walk the streets of our local town, the shops? How many of us see a homeless person or an imbalanced person or a visually mentally impaired person in some way? How many of us see these people? And how many of us stop? Stop and talk to them. Stop and listen to their story. Stop and understand them. We speak about it. We talk about it. We joke about it. We may share in their pain and be empathetic towards them, sympathetic even, but how many of us stop and sit and listen? Not many. How are we to change a world if the tokenism we place on mental health is just for one week? And who navigates and controls that space? Who navigates and controls the space where we do want to actually speak, but we're governed by what someone else tells us we can't do. Who controls the space that we can share? It should be us, we, the people. Not in a week, but every day, of every week, of every month and every year. The world is not ready for those who experience mental health to share their true stories. It's just not. There's evidence of that everywhere. I am the evidence of that. My third space experience is evidence of that. But one day the world will be ready and we've got to keep trying. We have to keep pushing through barriers and share stories. There's many people who do this. There's many podcasts that share the story. There's many famous people and not so famous people sharing their story, hoping to have a hook, hoping to get people to listen, to help share what we need to share. We're just not there yet. It was a difficult conversation to have with the father of the 13-year-old girl who had been sexually abused. 
I knew how it would go. I knew how it would go because I had had many conversations with fathers, with mothers, with parents or caregivers. And their loved ones, their child, had been sexually or physically abused. Or their young one, their child, had been exposed to some form of sexual or physical abuse from a stranger, a family member, a friend. We disclosed it to the parent. It was required. It had to happen. I've been involved in many of those conversations, so I knew what this conversation was going to be like. But with this father, there was something a little different. As he was informed, there was a change in the tone in his voice. The emotion was deep, it was permanent. When a child discloses sexual abuse, whether that be directly or through a third party practitioner, the result is permanent. The words are out there. The impact is lasting. The emotions of confusion, of anger, of sadness, loss, grief, all stay. They don't go away. They never go away. They just stay and you learn. They learn to have that as part of their life. Mental Health Week is a time to reflect and understand that there are unspoken things that occur in life that when spoken change us forever. They make us different. We are no longer the person we once were. They make us weak but they make us strong. They make us realize that pain and suffering in others is transferable to self. Especially, especially when the others are children that are known to us, are close to us, are loved by us. The third space is a space of mental health. It's an authentic space of mental health. Not just for a week, but for a lifetime. It's a space where we live the lived experiences of mental health. Where we impart our knowledge and understanding of those experiences to others. And we do that in our effort to make the lives and experiences of others understandable. Understandable and okay to share. Those experiences, above all, are about sharing ourselves to others in a kind, in a graceful, and in a truly authentic manner. My name is Dr. Michael. This is the 13 Elephants Podcast. Come along for the ride.